Hello, Duke fans, and welcome to episode 484 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Thursday, February 2nd, 2023. At least from where I'm sitting, I can't tell that Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow. So winter continues, or does it work the other way around? I'm not sure about the rules of Groundhog Day, but it is Groundhog Day. And I guess in celebration of that, it's the same guys who we always are. I am Sam Klein. I am your host for this episode. I'm joined, as always, by Jason Evans and Donald Wine. I'm going to start with Donald. How are you this afternoon? Well, first off, I have watched the movie Groundhog Day four times already today, or at least I'm sorry, I'm halfway through uh, the fourth viewing of Groundhog Day, and it is a classic every year uh, on any day, much especially this day. But also, uh, very quick for people who will be in Durham on Saturday, I too will be in Durham on Saturday. I am uh, going to be at the game uh, thanks to a listener a friend of ours. Uh, we I will be going to the game with my best friends, and my godson will finally get to experience his first game in Cameron. And it's a big one. I'm ready to talk about it. Jason Evans is also here, and by the looks of it, uh, he either has a very still new pet or he has a brand new microphone. So, Jason, mic check. Let's hear it. No, it, it's it's not a new microphone. It's the same mic I've used for years, but usually it's like off to the side so you can't see it. So I put it right on top of my computer this time so it's right in front of my face. I should sound very baritone. Uh, I, I think you're a tenor. I don't know. Whatever the hell. I, I don't even know what I am. I, I think he's a... <laughs> Donald, what voice part are you? Do you know? Uh, so my voice is a tenor. Um, I can get down to a baritone, but there's no Barry White on this podcast. So um, I, uh, I don't think any I, of us I, are going to go that deep. I sang bass in high school, but then oh, in, baby, in college, baby. I sang baritone. So, uh, yeah. And then it turns out I was the least uh, tonally inclined member of Speak of the Devil. Uh, Duke's premier all-male acapella group, if I had to, if I had to say so myself. So uh, I mostly sang percussion. That is off topic. What is on topic today is that Duke hosts North Carolina this Saturday in Cameron Indoor. John Shire will be there. Hubert Davis will be there. Donald Wine will be there. So it is it is a huge one. It is John Shire's first game as head coach uh, against UNC. It is, of course, uh, not his first time meeting the Tar Heels as a member of the Duke coaching staff. So it is exciting. All we're going to do today is preview this game. I think what we've resorted to in the last few weeks is that game previews are really bites. We usually don't have that much to say, but this is the big one. This, of course, need I remind everyone that this is Duke's first meeting against UNC in the John Shire era, but also the first time since that last time that they played them when Jason and I were unfortunately in the building. Well, you know, hey, it's not unfortunate that we were there. <laughs> oh, no, sure. It was great fun that we were there. The result, very unfortunate. The the best was the best part of it. The podcast we did the next day. I feel like that was a real, that was a real moment for us. We had a lovely breakfast. Uh, anyway, <laughs> we don't need to, we don't need to dwell on any of that. <laughs> the game is Saturday. Uh, college game day will be there. It's all of the hoopla that you uh, would normally expect. So let's do sort of our standard way that we start these previews, but I'm sure there is more to talk about than there usually is. Donald wine is going to kick us off. Donald, tell us about, the Tar Heels, who have sort of had a similar trajectory as Duke this season in that both teams started with a lot of preseason hype. A lot of people thought that UNC was the number one team in the country coming into this year. And like Duke, they have stumbled a little bit. Uh, they're not terrible, but they're not 
sort of the juggernaut that I think everyone expected coming off that final four and bringing most of those key pieces back. Yeah. So let's start with their record. Their overall record is 15 and seven. They're seven and four in the ACC. And as of today, they are 34th in Kempom. And here's the deal. Um, they have a lot of top 100 wins. They have wins against Ohio State, NC State, Charleston, James Madison, Michigan, Wake Forest, Syracuse. Of those teams, you know, a lot of them are either, you know, as of today in the NCAA tournament or, you know, talking. we're talking about them being on the bubble. Uh, the issue is, is they were the preseason number one ranked team, Sam. It wasn't like a lot of people thought they were number one team in the country. They were the number one t- ranked team in the country entering the season, and they were generally playing like that until – I went to Qatar for the World Cup for what seemed like the entire time I was gone. Uh, I, that must have been what happened. UNC lost every game uh, and then they decided to keep losing when I got back. They lost four in a row to Iowa State, Alabama, Indiana, and then Virginia Tech to drop completely out of the top 25. I believe it was the, it was the fastest drop for our number one team to out of the rankings in the history of the AP poll. So they were they were in dire straits. They also no, it's a oh, hey, it's a record setting season for them. They have rewritten the yeah. record books this year. Congrats, Carolina. Jason, yeah. Jason, <laughs> mock them, mock them at, at your own peril at this point. We haven't played any of the games yet this year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am I am so nervous about about Jason like uh doing all the jinxes here because I know that like there's so much salt. That he no has jinxes. To, that he this, has is just, this is just the news. At this point, Jason knows this. We, These right are just, now we're just delivering the news. Just facts. Just facts. They dropped out of the polls. Uh, and in the ACC, they, they also have losses against Pitt twice. I'll talk about the last one. Uh, and then Virginia Tech. They did have Pitt and Virginia on the road. They played Pitt last night as we record on Thursday, February 2nd. They played Pitt at home last night. They lost by one point against Pitt. So Pitt has swept them. Uh, and they are reeling again, you know, a Wednesday game right before this game on Saturday night. We're going to get into a lot of what they do, but I just want to start with these buzzwords about this game, because as we know, this is the biggest rivalry in college basketball. This is one of the biggest rivalries on the planet. And there's a lot of buzzwords that I need people to understand, because despite what Jason and Sam are going to tell you about metrics, there's a lot of things with this eye test that remain true when Duke and UNC take the floor. Intensity, physicality, strength, pride, gusto, urgency, heart. All of those buzzwords are going to be in play on Saturday night. It, it Sometimes it may not matter if someone is over 47 from the floor because they can make that next one and all of those buzzwords still come to play. And honestly, it remains to the fact that whoever wants this game more is going to have it is this is rarely a game where the the better team loses this is rather or rarely a team a game where metrics really play out throw all that ish out of the window this is going to be a game where teams are going to go at each other players are going to go at each other coaches are going to try and out coach one another and yes we're going to talk about what makes unc strong and where their weaknesses may lie but in the end if Duke plays with heart, if Duke plays with intensity and they bring that physicality, if Cameron is on point, which I will help them do on Saturday night, then Duke can win this basketball game. But we have to prepare as if this is the last game of the season because there is no bigger game that they will face this season than this game on Saturday night against the UNC Tar Heels. Jason, I want to ask you about the pit game from last night, but before I get there, Donald, can you just give us a quick rundown 
of sort of UNC's best wins and losses this year. I feel like as I'm looking at their schedule, that it's a lot of wins against teams they probably should have beaten and no wins against sort of that top tier, which is what you were talking about, how when they <laughs> went to when when you were in in Qatar, UNC like couldn't buy a victory against a top team. Right. And and like I said, I when we look at like the, you know, Kim Palm and really look at like our I, I say RPI, but really it's the net. When you look at those high quality wins, let's start with the top 100 because yeah, there's, you, you can argue that the teams that like, you know, in the eighties and nineties really don't mean much, but it does when they're talking about consideration because those teams in theory could be in, in competition for the NCAA tournament. But here are the top 100 wins that they have Ohio state, NC state college of Charleston, James Madison, Michigan, wake forest and Syracuse. So like you said, Sam, they are teams that, yeah, they should have beaten those teams. The losses that they have, I think the one, the best team they've played so far this year is Alabama, and they lost to Alabama. Um, that was part of their four-game lose, losing streak. Iowa State, another good team that they lost to. Indiana, not as good a team, but they're, you know, halfway decent. And then Virginia Tech, who, you know, we can't really say much because we also have lost uh, to Virginia Tech. But I think at the end of the day, you know, these wins, and then they also played Virginia on the road and lost to Virginia. So a lot of their wins have come on the road, not necessarily at home. The only the only real big home game that they've lost is against Pitt last night. Jason, let's talk about that Pitt game because I know that we were watching, and I know that uh, you had a, a little bit of a uh, exciting social media <laughs> encounter as yes. a result of it. Uh, UNC loses to Pitt by just one point. It's a it's a tight one at the end. There's some questionable refereeing. Uh, what happened in this Pitt game yesterday that's sort of our most recent datum on how UNC is performing? Well, the, the Pitt game was a back and I watched a lot of that contest. It was a back and forth contest. You know, one team would lead and then the other team would come storming back, storming back and 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 so forth. And then at the very end, um, Pitt had a lead and and I thought they were going to pull it out. And then they went cold for like two or three minutes in the final five minutes. And it was painful to watch if you are rooting for the Panthers as as we do because uh because of our association with the head coach of the Pitt Panthers but in, in any event uh Pitt had as you said a one point lead Carolina pretty questionable in my opinion play calling by Hubert Davis they they wasted several seconds getting the ball into the front court they had 6 tenths of a second to get off a shot Caleb Love attempted to get off a three pointer the the reality is he did not get it off in time and Nick Sabandi of Pittsburgh partially blocked the shot and yet also definitely hit Caleb Love on the arm. There's absolutely no question about it. If there had been enough time on the clock, I believe that they would have called a foul on Nick Sabandi and Carolina would have had a chance to win the game at the free throw line. I believe, but, I, yeah. Jason, I believe the the scientific definition of what happened is that the hand bone is connected to the wrist bone and all those are connected to the ball. So questionable that that's just i think yeah. that's the the scientific way um but you know science is always up for interpretation anyway it it's up for debate had there been enough time there wasn't enough time so it doesn't really matter there's little question that caleb love didn't get the shot off in time but you could tell that carolina people were going to be going crazy about this so i posted to twitter and what i wrote was i thought clearly very sarcastic i said you know oh he was 100 percent fouled on that last second buzzer beater I just, I can't tell you how angry and frustrated I am that the foul didn't get called. I'm not sure I'll ever get over this. And then I posted a GIF of 
of Ryan Reynolds doing a smirking smile so that everyone would understand that I don't really feel upset about this. In any event, a reporter or some online outlet, I'm not even sure which one, I don't even recall which one it was. It's like was something called Spun. I've never heard of it. The but... Spun, yeah. He he was doing an article about fans not liking referee calls. And he used my tweet as an example of a Carolina fan being despondent about a uh, a bad call in their game. And as a result, as you can imagine, I'm getting hundreds of Twitter notifications now. Everyone and their brother is either liking the post or commenting on it. No one seems to understand that I don't like the Tar Heels. Like they look at my name, Jason Duke Evans on Twitter. They look at my profile that says I'm a Duke fan that says I host a Duke podcast. And they're like, oh, this guy's really upset about the Carolina call. It, I, I, My phone is blowing up. I'm getting constant Twitter announcements that that someone else has liked, someone else has responded. And none of these people understand that I don't care about Carolina getting the call. In fact, I'm thrilled that they didn't get the call. It's just been a funny day for me. Jason, the lesson, of course, here is uh, that sarcasm doesn't translate on the Internet. So no, it does not you just you just <laughs> cannot you cannot get away with that kind of thing. What did you see then in, in this game last night, um, either in favor of, you know, you, th- th- this game, by the way, uh, was UNC snapping a winning streak. It seems like they've been back on the up and up the last few weeks. What have you seen from them either in this pit game or most more recently uh, that either worries you for this Duke game or, or is sort of an interesting uh, note on their season relative to preseason expectations. And I know we haven't talked specifically about the roster yet, but, but feel free to, to begin the conversation. Yeah, sure. And I'm not going to get, get into all the advanced analytics on Pitt. We can, we, I'm sorry, on UNC, we can wait on that for just a minute, but just in terms of what I've seen from them lately, uh, this is a Carolina team that is doing a great job of getting to the free throw line. And they did that again against Pitt. They made more free throws in this game against Pitt than they than than Pitt shot, and and this has been an ongoing theme for them. I'll give you some precise numbers on it a little bit later when we're talking about the advanced statistics and stuff. But that's been one of the things they've been succeeding at more than anything else, and it's really Armando Baycott. He shoots he shot fifteen free throws against Pitt. Pitt only took eleven free throws in the game. Armando Armando Baycott all by himself, all by his lonesome, was at the free throw line more than the entire Pittsburgh team. The other thing I've noticed about them lately is just in the past couple games, RJ Davis appears to be hurt and it has greatly affected his shot. And as I'm not sure if it's as a result or, or just something about his game advancing and evolving, but Pete Nance is, is taking a lot more shots than he used to. And, you know, I I don't know if we want to get into it now, but I think Pete Nance is the guy that Duke fans sort of know the least about because he he's the transfer he came over from Northwestern um Duke and UNC both have the have Northwestern's former um uh dueling centers we we got Ryan Young they got Pete Nance and uh Pete Nance was the starter Ryan Young was the backup at Northwestern last year he, Pete Nance was brought over to Carolina to take the Brady Manic role of, of of shooting three of being a stretch four and shooting three pointers on the perimeter and that's what he has mostly done this year but i have noticed the past couple games he has started to take more and more two-point shots. They're working him into the offense a little more than they used to, and that could be an interesting development for Duke uh, in in this game. I I really wonder, you know, like Pete Nance, I'll give you an interesting stat about him. He had, on the season, 46% of his shots, almost half his shots, have been three-pointers. The past two games, 
That has not been the case. He attempted 15 field goals and nine field, uh, two-point field goals, I should say. 15 two-point field goals, nine two-point field goals in the past two games. He, he's only had one game all year where he attempted more than two. I'm sorry, more than six two-point field goals. Two, six, three, whatever the hell. Uh, <laughs> the bottom line is they're working Pete Nance into their offense a lot more than they – if you watched Carolina a few weeks ago, there is a different Carolina team in terms of how much they're using Pete Nance. And I think that's a significant development for them and something that Duke needs to pay attention to. His matchup against Kyle Filipowski may be a lot of what determines who wins this game. I think a lot of it is, uh, you know, you mentioned Armando Baycott trying to get to the line, Pete uh, Pete Nance trying to get to uh, the basket. He's going to the line a lot more than he has in previous games. And, you know, Jason, you talked about how good they are getting to the free throw line. They're They're one of the best in the country. Uh, at the number of free throws that they take, uh, you know, relative to how many shots that they take. So these guys oh, are, are aiming to get to the line. I mean, they're aiming to get stuff inside the inside the paint, especially Dermano Baycott. He touches the ball a lot. They're very physical. And because of that, they try to get to the line. A lot of the times what he'll do uh, is that he'll get those fouls on putbacks. I know one of the big, 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 big matchups always when Duke faces UNC is the rebounding category. And these guys like to get second, third, and fourth chances. And then from there, they either make the shot or they get fouled on the process and then they go to the line that way. So Duke has to be really good at getting the ball uh, and going for those those rebounds and actually getting them because the more chances that they have to shoot, the more opportunities they're going to have to either bury you from, from inside or going to the free throw line where they have you know one or two opportunities to make free throws. Yo, before we get to the rest of the roster, just because you're talking about the free throws, I'm going to give folks the stats now because they are really, they're eye-opening. Um, this is what they do better than anything else is draw fouls. They attempt, North Carolina attempts 24.7 free throws per game. That's a crazy number. 24.7 is a huge number. They are fifth best in the country. Number five in every Division I team at number of free throw attempts per game. And by the way, the teams ahead of them, the, the four teams that are ahead of them are all teams that play at a very fast pace, faster than Carolina does. So there are more possessions in those games. I'm not saying that's the only reason they're ahead of Carolina, but the fact that Carolina shoots 24.7 free throws per game is a big number. Just for comparison, Duke takes 18.1 free throws per game. And we are a team that also gets to the free throw line a pretty fair amount of the time. Almost a quarter, almost 25% of the points that UNC scores in a given game come at the free throw line. Again, by comparison, free throws only account for about 19% of Duke's points. And as Donald mentioned, it's Armando Baycott. They are led by him. He is one of the top 20 players in all of college basketball at drawing fouls. This is a major part of their game plan. And let's be clear, Derek Lively especially has been foul prone this year. I know that part of what Carolina is thinking about doing today is getting Derek Lively and then Ryan Young and then Kyle Filipowski in foul trouble by using Armando Baycott. And maybe this is our opportunity to highlight the rest of the roster. I think you guys have mentioned a couple of the key pieces for Carolina. Of course, it starts with Baycott. He was you know, a national player of the year contender at the beginning of the season. He's still having an outstanding uh, statistical season. He's averaging a double-double. He's, he's breaking Carolina records. Uh, that are held by names that I don't feel like I need to repeat on this podcast. So Armando Baycott is is racking up numbers this year for UNC, even in, in the midst of a middling season. 
the rest of the UNC roster is is interesting this year. It feels like Hubert Davis has taken the Coach K approach. He's he's whittled that roster down to like five and a half players that are basically getting meaningful minutes for them. So Duke fans, of course, will remember Baycott. They'll remember the two-headed guard monster of uh, Caleb Love and RJ Davis. Leaky Black is is still on this team. He's been there for about seventeen years. I, I think he I think he's won four national championships with UNC uh, as their defensive stopper, but he now plays like 35 minutes a game for them. Uh, Jason mentioned they got the other side of the Northwestern big man uh, market uh, in, in the form of transfer Pete Nance. So I'm sure there will be some discussion about the, the Pete Nance versus Ryan Young matchup, given how much time they spent together in Evanston. So that's your starting five for UNC. And then, you know, depending on the night, you may get a few minutes out of DeMarco Dunn. You may get a few minutes out of Tyler Nickel, but none of these guys are consistently playing more than, say, 10 or 15 minutes for UNC. So while, Jason, I think you're right that one of the keys for Duke is going to be avoiding foul trouble when it comes to going up against Baycott for second-chance points and Duke trying to get offensive rebounds. The other Duke is maybe trying to do the exact same thing because UNC has basically no depth on their roster. They don't trust. Hubert Davis does not trust the guys that are sort of down ballot for them. And so if UNC does have to put Bacon on the bench with fouls, or if UNC does have to put Nance or, or Caleb Love or RJ Davis on the bench with fouls, there aren't guys that can come in and replicate their production. You see a ton of the scoring of the rebounding. Everything is going to those key players. It's interesting that, that, you know, when you look at the, at the counting stats that, uh, guys like Davis and Leaky Black appear to be like pulling down a lot of rebounds, but on a rate basis, they're actually not that good at it just because they're all playing 35 minutes a game. So it, it's going to be an interesting test of of whether, one, either of these teams can get the other in foul trouble, and two, what, if anything, they can get from their bench. I think the other thing that's been concerning to Duke fans in the last few weeks is how the bench production has fallen off a little bit. And so whether it's, you know, lively starting Ryan Young coming off the bench, maybe Duke feels John Shire feels like Ryan Young makes more sense to play at the beginning of the game to to make Armando Baycott uncomfortable. That's going to be one of the most interesting parts of how Duke begins to attack UNC. Also on the bench for UNC that uh, he'll he'll get probably 10 minutes and he, you know, you can probably find him around the boards is uh, uh, the old guy who's again been with Leaky Black for 97 years. Puff the Magic Johnson. Um, will also be in effect there. So um, you'll I, see. I think him, he's been on the bench. Like he hasn't started any of these games. He's just been. No, like, he hasn't started, but he, he's just been sitting on minutes. UNC's bench this whole time. Let, let, let's be yeah. clear. Puff Johnson has been injured lately, and I think the odds are he's not going to probably not Duke. playing. Yeah. He might. Um, he might. But the odds are he's probably not going to play against Duke. I, I don't count anybody out in this game. <laughs> we know how, yeah, that, and actually, we know how and, that usually shows up. And And speaking of injuries, we got some important news today about Duke and Duke's bench and duke's depth in that derek whitehead is going the, the coach's plan the doctor's plan to have derek whitehead practice today today is thursday the plan is for derek whitehead to participate in duke's practice and john shire says you know they haven't made any decision about saturday but i feel like if practice goes well then we're probably going to get derek whitehead as you know playing for duke again i don't know that that's playing his usual role. In fact, I doubt it. There's probably some ramp up that's going on, but I, it, it would be very, very big for this Duke team to get a little bit of scoring punch back in the form of Derek Whitehead. Guys, let's take a quick break. On the other side, Jason, I want to 
ask you a little bit more about the advanced stats because there are a lot of interesting things in the matchup here. I know that we have to talk a lot more about rebounding. I know that we have to talk about UNC's shooting proclivities. So stick around. We'll talk about the stats after this. We are back and we are talking advanced metrics for the Duke versus UNC game this Saturday. Jason Evans, of course, has has dived deep into the numbers on this one. And I think there are a lot of interesting angles to this. I mentioned this before the break, but the rebounding battle, uh, the way that, that UNC approaches shot selection. So, Jason, take us through the matchup from a advanced metrics perspective. Absolutely. So UNC comes in this game at least at the moment, as the number 34 team in Ken Pomeroy's rankings. They they achieve that number 34 ranking by being the 29th best offensive team and the 52nd best defensive team. So they're pretty good on both sides of the ball. Um, on offense, the thing they do really well, we already mentioned the free throw shooting, which they are absolutely elite at, um, not in terms of their percentage of free throws made, but the number of free throws they take. But the other stuff they're really good at on offense is they hold on to the ball. They do not turn it over. You know, not very much at all. They're also a very good two-point shooting team. They hit better than 52% of their two-point field goals, which is a pretty good number. What they don't do well is shoot three-pointers. They hit just 31.1% of their three-point shots. They're among the bottom 50 teams in the country at the number of points they score off of those three-point field goals. They just don't rely on the three as much as a lot of other teams do. And in a bit of a departure from, you know, recent Carolina teams, they are just an average offensive rebounding team. Um, you know, Armando Baycott gets the offensive rebounds, but the rest of the guys in this team are hanging out on the perimeter for the most part. This is a big change from what they were under Roy Williams, and they just don't get a lot of offensive rebounds. That said, this is a strong defensive rebounding club, and they do not foul. They don't put opponents on the line very much. They're going to just box out, be very fundamental, and they're going to get those boards. We have seen this year that offensive rebounding is a huge part of what Duke does when Duke is succeeding. Carolina is a team that is going to be very difficult to get offensive rebounds against. Uh, they also, they'll block some shots. They don't get a lot of turnovers on defense. They're among the bottom 50 teams in the country at, at defensive turnover percentage. And uh, Sam, I just want to reiterate something that you were mentioning earlier. You talked about the fact they don't have a much much of a bench. Hubert has these five guys, and he's not playing anybody else. There are 363 teams in Division One. Carolina is 358th in terms of the amount amount that they use their bench, uh, not use their bench, I should say. That you know, this is a team that just the stats bear it out. They got five guys that they're playing, and they're just not interested in anybody else. The rebounding battle, Jason, is the most interesting thing to me because, as you pointed out. Duke is one of the best offensive rebounding teams in the country, but Armando Baycott's there and he's there for, you know, 38 minutes a game or something. So Duke is going to be fighting for those offensive rebounds in a way that they aren't against most teams in conference this year. So I'm, I'm very interested in the way that Duke boxes out Baycott in the way that they sort of key in on him on defense and how they try to move him to spaces on the floor where he's going to be less effective because I guarantee if, we have to talk about Duke losing this game on Saturday night or Sunday morning, whenever we do this, we're going to be talking about how Armando Baycott had a monster game rebounding. And there's very few other ways that UNC feels like 
they could beat Duke. Also with Armando Baycott, one thing that has trended this year is that if he gets into foul trouble, Hubert Davis will still keep him in the game instead of taking him out. There's been times where he, he'll sit him for a minute or two, but it's not like he if he gets two quick fouls, he's going to be sitting for the majority of the first half. He's going to be left in there. And it's, it feels like there is when he kind of gets his magic and he gets his mojo because he's very good at holding himself when he does have two fouls. He's still going to be active and going to the to the hole. He's still getting to the free throw line. So for Duke, if if they do get two quick fouls on Armando Baycott, they need to continue to kind of go at him. Uh, because I think at the end of the day, getting three is when he'll sit down, but it's very rare that he gets the three fouls. But the idea is that he's he's very smart at being in the right positions to make plays despite having foul trouble either in the first half or the second half. And that's kind of what makes him such a great player, uh, one of the best you know players in the country, especially at rebounding. Yeah, Armando Baycott like almost never fouls out. He's he's got you know for some he'll get the four he does. Yeah, he'll get the four fouls, but he won't he won't foul out. He doesn't foul out, and he is one of the best guys in the country at drawing fouls. So Jason mentioned that I know uh, in the in the first half that 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 is such a key thing for Duke to be watching out for, whether it's Lively or Filipowski or Ryan Young. Jason, we want to talk, I think, a little bit about UNC shooting. You found some interesting stats about the shot selection for Carolina's lead guards. Yeah, this is fascinating. So I was pouring over a whole bunch of different statistical websites and things like that. And I was specifically looking at Pete Nance and, uh, you know, I was sort of kind of comparing him to Brady Manick and things. And I was trying to see, oh, you know, is this a guy who takes threes himself or does, does it get assisted? In other words, is he someone who's going to pull up off the dribble and take his own three-pointer, or does he really only take three-pointers when someone passes it to him? Because those are two very, very different skills. Pete Nance is a guy who only takes threes when when they are assisted, when someone else is creating the action and they find him open and he just buries a three-pointer. The number is 95.5%. 95.5% of Pete Nance's made three-pointers come off an assist. That's a crazy number. That's a huge number. So I saw that and I was like, wow, I, I, I wonder what some other players are. So I looked at RJ Davis and Caleb Love and the number is jaw dropping. RJ Davis is assisted on only 43% of his three pointers. That means more than half of the three pointers he makes are coming off the dribble. That's him, you know, juking some guy, him putting a move on someone, doing a step back, whatever else it may be. He is not hanging out, waiting for you to pass him the ball to take a three. Caleb Love is the same way. Caleb Love is assisted on only 57% of his three-point baskets. You need some perspective on this. You need to understand how unusual it is for those two guys to both be around 50% assist rate on their threes. Jeremy Roach is the player on Duke who does the most in terms of taking three-pointers off the dribble. He is still assisted on more than 70% of his three-pointers. Again, think about that. The Carolina guards are taking three-pointers off the dribble on their own more than 50% of the time. Jeremy Roach is the guy who does it the most for Duke, only 30%. And, like, there's no one else on Duke who's got an assist rate, a, a three-point assist rate less than 80%. Tyrese Proctor's, like, at 82 or something like that. All the other guys, Kyle Filipowski, everyone else is in, you know, it's close to 90%. It is incredibly unusual that UNC has these guys – who are so eager and willing to take three-pointers on their own. And by the way, they're both lousy three-point shooters. 
And that's probably part of the reason why. I mean, Caleb Love, uh, the, the dude is shooting three-pointers every time he can find one open, and he's only hitting 28% this season. That's a big reason why UNC has struggled this year. Because a year ago, he was like 10 percentage points higher. He was in the mid to upper 30s. This year, 28%. That is bad. Duke, please let Caleb Love take bad shots all day long. Donald, I wanted to come back to you for a comment on uh, UNC's size because it, as much as we talk about like the limitations that they have in terms of their bench depth, the guys that are playing for Carolina are huge. Yeah, and real quickly before I do, uh, on Caleb Love, Jason, everything you said is entirely correct. And then we have games like, was it last year or the year before? where Caleb Love hit like eight threes, and we were basically it was there. It was his freshman year. It was two years ago. Yeah. But yeah, by the yeah. way, I've, I've got the numbers on that. Caleb Love on his career is a 14-point-per-game player. Against Duke, he averages 20 points per game. And right. in his career, he's hitting about 31.5% of his three-pointers. Um, Against Duke, he hits close to 37%. He's better against us than he is against anybody else. I still say, let him take those bad three-pointers all day long. Yeah, but what I'm what I mean by that point is we still have to watch out for him. It's 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 one of those things where again, metrics net do not matter in a sense when when Duke plays UNC because a lot of guys elevate their game on this one of the biggest stages uh, that you can have in college sports. So uh, I did want to shift to the bigs because I think just inside in terms of size, UNC is unlike teams that we have faced this year most times we talk about these teams we talk about you know duke is going to have a size advantage in several areas on the floor but that's not going to be the case against unc they're one of the they're one of the tallest teams in the country you know the one of the 25 tallest teams in the country they're also very experienced one of the top 25 experienced teams in the country a lot of like as, as sam has mentioned a lot of guys who duke fans should already be familiar with and the issue with that is, is we know their game, and again, everything's going to be elevated. But at at when it comes to Duke, these freshmen are going to be facing guys, and they're not going to be looking down at a lot of them uh, like they have for most games this year. So that means the physicality is going to be there, and obviously it always is, but they need to be ready for that. They need to be ready to literally be be smacked in the mouth, head butted in the, in, in the forehead, whatever they're, you know, you know whatever cliche you want to use. But they need to be ready for that because this team is going to scrap. This team is going to try to get to the rim. This team is going to try and and hack and everything to try and get the ball. And at the end of the day, Duke has to respond to that. I know the intensity should be there because it's it's going to be very apparent quickly. If the intensity is not there, that's going to be present and that's going to affect this game. But if Duke can present that same front that they have been doing lately, in the sense that they provide the physicality, they go at teams and they and they play within themselves. This is a game that a lot of UNC strengths will be neutralized because Duke can also do these things quite well. And if the physicality is there and the intensity is there, that's going to be edge Duke because we have Cameron behind us and that is only going to provide more energy. So I want to wrap up this UNC preview uh, with a little bit of outsider perspective. Jason, I know that you were on uh, Jay Billis's media call earlier today, and you got uh, you got in a couple questions with Jay. So, what did we learn from uh, Jay Billis about this Carolina game? Well, let's let's go ahead and play the sound. The uh, I asked Jay first of all. You guys know I'm a stat head. I asked Jay about what stats he thinks are most important for this contest. You'll hear a lot of stuff 
that we've already talked about a little bit, but here's Jay Billis's perspective on what's coming up for Duke and UNC. I'm wondering if there is one stat, you know me, I'm a stat guy. Is there a stat, is there something you're going to look for in this game to say, oh, this is how Duke is succeeding or this is how Carolina is succeeding? Well, I mean, number one would be offensive rebounding. Uh, usually, or at least traditionally over the last decade or so, maybe longer, maybe it's two, two decades, North Carolina has been the more, um, has been the better offensive rebounding team. And this year, Duke by percentage is the better offensive rebounding team. It's a big part of their offense. You know, they, they do a, a really good job of, of offensive rebound coverage. They've got some lengthy athletes, both on the wing and inside. And they do a really good job of getting second shots. And those are high percentage looks. And sometimes those second shots, Duke is very good at, at getting second shots, second shot opportunities. If it's not immediate stick back, they, they kick it back out for a, a step in three. And those are by the analytics. I mean, I thought this for years, said it for years. And then, and then I had somebody check it out and make sure I was right. That, that's, the, that's the best time to ever shoot a three is after an offensive rebound. And um, uh, and they've made a significant amount of those uh, this year and traditionally, but but this year they're a better offensive rebounding team than they've been. Um, and the other will be, frankly, ball security. Um, you know, Carolina is a good transition team, uh, and you turn the ball over, and and they play ahead of your defense. You, they're going to be dunking it or laying it in with high percentage looks where where your defense uh, can't get set. And so, you know, in, in the past, your first thing with North Carolina was transition, you know, and, and that's where your offense really has to help your defense. You know, people think the game is offense and defense. They're, they're related. So you take a quick or bad shot. Uh, you know, that's the first pass and your opponent's fast break. They're getting down the floor quicker. And uh, but you run good offense and, and don't turn it over. And then your opponent's going to be playing more often against a set defense, and, and that's going to put you in a better position to win. Uh, but, but I think rebounding is going to be a big factor in the game. And, you know, Carolina shoots a fair amount of threes, and, uh, they're, and they also do a really good job getting the free throw line. But um, they shoot a fair amount of threes, and those mean long rebounds. So it's not just uh, the big guys that have to rebound. Uh, everybody has to rebound. And if I can follow up about one thing, these are two teams that were ranked top five, top 10 in the preseason and clearly haven't lived up to that expectation. Do you think they have a chance to get back to being there? And what do you think has caused each of them to struggle the way they have this far this year? Well, I'm not sure they've struggled. I mean, I'm, you know, we, we tend to lay that on the players. Maybe it's on us. You know, maybe, maybe we screwed up uh and and over overranked certain teams or underranked others um you know preseason polls don't mean anything they're they're just done to generate attention and uh so we're, we're never it's funny how we're never held to the standard of hey you were wrong um you know we just blame the players and say they didn't live up to expectations but i think carolina has the highest ceiling of the two teams um they're, they're an older team that's been there before, uh, and they've, they've had some injuries, which have been significant. And then they've had, it's taken away some continuity for them. And, uh, uh, but, you know, all you have to do is look back to last year. You know, at this time last year, nobody was saying this was a national championship team. And this was a team, Carolina was a team that was going to play for the championship on Monday night. And they did. Uh, but they've got, the, they've got the ability level and the personnel. Um, to get there again. 
but so do a number of other teams. Um, neither team is dominant, uh, but I think we 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 knew that before the season that this wasn't going to be a year of knockout punch teams. That it was gonna there was going to be some volatility, but but both teams are very good, and uh, I think there are a lot of teams out there that would trade trade records with both Duke and North Carolina. Jason, he he literally just you know listened to this podcast as we recorded it and said the same thing. I know this was recorded earlier, but yeah, I, I mean, those things feel like they're evident, but it, it bears repeating. Offensive rebounding is going to be a key and turnovers, taking care of the basketball. That's something that has been Duke's Achilles heel all year. We haven't taken care of the basketball in a lot of basketball games, and we need to do that against UNC. We can't give them opportunities to go the other way for free points. It feels like the only guy we haven't talked about on Carolina that seems to make a big impact is Leaky Black. So, Jason, why don't you wrap us up here with uh, just just a few words about what Leaky Black is doing for UNC this season? I, I think folks need to be prepared for something that may not be immediately obvious about this game, which is that I think Leaky Black is going to start out this game and spend most of this game playing against and guarding Kyle Filipowski. I know that it feels like Leaky Black is a wing, and you're like, wait, no, Kyle's a big man. Leaky Black is like 6'8", 6'9", and experienced and knows what he's doing. He can guard anyone, anyone on the opposing team. Carolina always picks out the guy who is the most dangerous player, and that's who they put Leaky Black on. And Leaky Black, I'm guaranteeing you, will be covering Kyle Filipowski a pretty fair percentage of this contest. I think it's going to be a real test of, of Kyle's maturity, of his ability to identify what's working and what isn't, and... I'll honestly say the thing that has me the most worried about this game is that Kyle maybe picks up offensive fouls against Leaky Black, that Kyle gets a little bit frustrated and isn't able to be as effective and efficient as he is sometimes, because I think Leaky Black is one of the five best defenders in all of college basketball, and and he's gonna he is going to be ready to take on this Duke freshman. I think Kyle's never seen anything like the defense Leaky Black's going to put on him. He's got a little craftiness in his game. Um, I hate saying that, but you know, the craftiness is what Jason is going to lead to opportunities for him to try and draw those offensive fouls on Kyle Filipowski when when Leaky Black is is guarding him. So uh that's something that I think uh the staff recognizes. And even if the whoever is on Leaky Black, I we assume will be Kyle Filipowski will be paired with him uh, at least on when when we're on the, have the ball. But yeah, they need to be ready for that because he's, you know, very smart and able to get into people's paths in different ways and to sell it. Um, because a lot of times, you know, he can get in front even if he doesn't have the perfect position. He's able to sell that to the refs and get you going the other way. So, we're going to wrap it there on this preview. I, I don't know if you need to be reminded about this, but the game is Saturday night at six thirty. It's happening at Cameron Indoor Stadium. If you're in the area. Uh, go check out College Game Day because that's a lot of fun. If you're going to be at the game, if you're lucky enough to be at this one, uh, go say hi to Donald Wine because he is he is going to be in attendance. Jason and I, unfortunately, will not be there. But, of course, we will be watching. We will be reacting. And we cannot wait to see uh, this next edition of the Duke-UNC rivalry. Uh, it continues despite all that happened last season. So we're going to finish there. Stay in touch with us, dbrpodcast at gmail.com. We will talk to you again after the Carolina game. For Jason Evans, for Donald Wine, I am Sam Klein. This has been episode 484 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, Duke Band. Take us home. <laughs>